How we doing, folks? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day soon a true proletarian revolution. But until that lovely day comes, I am your host, Josh, and I'd like to say thank you so much for stopping by. Today, we got a little chill episode. I am just picking up some food. I have uh, ingested some leaf, (laughs) uh, allegedly, and I am on the way home, so I'm just kind of chilling. You know, normally this would be the time where I'm, you know, kind of sitting with my thoughts. Uh, Normally, I listen to mostly podcasts and audiobooks while I'm driving, although audiobooks have kind of fell to the wayside because, first and foremost, usually I'm not capable of keeping full, full attention on an audiobook while I'm driving, just, you know, plainly because of, I don't know, I feel like that would be normal. Like, because especially a lot of the texts that I'm reading, like, you can check out folks like uh, Comrade Reads or Socialism for All. Um, I think they're both on YouTube, but I think only Comrade Reads is on Spotify. Um, But they both put out great content, right? And they have, like, the four parts, four part series I think Comrade Reads has on left wing communism and infantile disorder. And I, I just grab that one out of thin air because I remember as I would drive and listen to it, sure, would I get some good one-liners in and would I be able to absorb some of it? Yeah. And it was cool to listen to, you know, but at the same time, I feel like these works are very dense, very theoretical and take like proper attention. And so I'm not always too keen on listening to them while I'm driving uh, just simply because it's not always so easy to fully pay attention. Even while, like, doing chores and shit at home, I found that it's kind of difficult, you know? Um, <clears throat> but anyways, uh, so I figured, you know, I've been reading a bit today, and, uh, I listened to a really great podcast by, uh, Red Nation Media, Um, I believe it was technically an episode of Red Power Hour with, uh, uh, Melanie Yazzie, uh, and, uh, some other great folks whose names I am blanking on currently. I know, I know there's Jen Marley, and I can't, unfortunately, remember the name of the two other hosts that were on this episode, but it's called throw down unapologetically go check that out on apple Podcasts, please go check out red nation and all the work that they're doing um i think their uh website i think it's redmedia.press don't quote me on that because not for nothing search uh red nation media and i'm sure that you will be able to find all of their content online so please go check their stuff out go subscribe to them leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts because it really does a great job of boosting people in the algorithm and they deserve to be boosted far more than this show. 
<coughs> Excuse me. Holy shit. Anyways. So. That episode and some of what I've been reading. And uh, these great conversations that I've been having with comrades. For example, I had uh, the host of Bands of Turtle Island on to uh, have a great discussion of the intersectionality between uh, indigenous liberation and land back decolonization as well, you know, as it, how it connects to scientific socialism. Uh, that should be coming out soon. Um, please go hit up uh, Homie Zaccato on Patreon uh, <clears throat> and leave him a little uh, congratulatory gift for his recent news of becoming a father uh, with the winter months coming and the job market as difficult for them as it is for everybody else. I feel that this is one way that we can show true solidarity to each other. If you have a little extra something, uh, please feel free to uh, find him on uh, Cash App. Let me... uh, Let me pull that up. Um, Homies, uh, homies cash app. Hold on here. I don't actually know if this is necessarily appropriate to say like straight up on stream or on the recording, but we're just going to go for it. Uh, It's dollar sign bands of Turtle Island. No caps, no spaces. Uh, Go give the homie a uh, nice little congratulatory gift. They, uh, they need it for diapers, and they need it for, I believe, winter tires, they said. And also food and heat and everything else that this stupid capitalist system requires of us simply to live uh, safely and comfortably. Um, especially, you know, it's such amazing news. Like, the birth of a child comes with so much stress for those of us who are thinking about doing those, you know thinking about getting, uh, you know, having a child, um, it is a a very scary thought that you might not actually be able to afford to provide your child with what they require for survival. So again, please go help the homie out because they deserve it. Um, I also have been having a great uh, amount of conversations with a great homie of mine, Ramiro, uh, Ramiro Sebastian Foynas on YouTube or Unmasking Imperialism. Me and the homie Mercedes went on the show. Um, I apologize, uh, for my extremely, uh, white pronunciation of, uh, the name. Um, but it, uh, was super dope. We talked about Catharsis, and we also talked about the way in which propaganda, misinformation, and ultimately what amounts to brainwashing uh, influences the minds of the masses and ultimately deters the movement uh, from socialism <clears throat> and especially, uh, you know, a revolutionary communism. And then also, I've been having great calls with two homies of mine. You might know them as Rad Reads on YouTube. Uh, I've been able to be in contact with them. We are planning an episode together, so be on the lookout for that. 
uh, that's going to be great. And uh, I've just been able to uh, develop a relationship with them. And uh, so please also go subscribe to both Ramiro and the homie Red Reads on YouTube. Leave a review because they do, they both do amazing content uh, that they put hours and hours of hard work into. So unfortunately, with the way in which media production uh, is done within a capitalist system, those of us who do not have an immense uh, accumulation of capital have to go about uh, kind of using the system to put forward information that will uh, try to take down the system. There was an incredible episode with the uh, homies from uh, uh, Midwestern Marks, and they came on East is a Podcast and discussed the way in which social media is used or should or could be used to propagandize and educate the masses. Um, so please go check that out because I think that's one thing that we uh, were talking about, me and Ramiro. Me and my homie, uh, Red Reeds, have been talking about. And then, of course, a great homie of mine, homie Andres. Shout out, Andres. Um, Great dude. uh, Incredibly intelligent. And uh, I've been able to have great discussions with him, uh, my friends uh, all across the country, um, who I've been able to meet through social media, through podcasting. We are attempting to uh, do a little study group, which I think I mentioned on one of my recent podcasts, which um, right now it's probably just going to be a family friends thing. Um, But as it stands, you know, uh, we will see how it goes. And if this is something that I feel uh, could be opened up to the public, I think this is one way in which, although... You know, some folks don't see it as necessarily practical and revolutionary work. Uh, Those of us who recognize the importance of theory in praxis, which is theory in practice, right? Uh, Practical theory uh, being acted upon in the real material life, that's praxis. Those of us who understand the importance of theory's role in praxis recognize that at the current time, there isn't always necessarily an opportunity to be on the side of the street, you know, shouting demands and calling out the hypocrisy of elected officials. I mean, there's always an opportunity to do it, but that doesn't always mean that there's an opportunity for me, the person who wants to do that, to go ahead and do that, if that makes sense. And also, on the flip side of that, I do not necessarily sanction uh, impractical actions just for the sake of doing something. Because, you know, things that are not... How do I want to put this? Things that are not going to be given the airwaves to really impact material reality as they intend to for example, a terrorist attack. You know, it's never the terrorist's manifesto that's printed on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. It's him or them uh, and their, you know, worst picture that they've ever found, the destruction that they caused, and then boom, that big word, terrorist. 
And that's that. You never hear about the motivation behind any of the acts. There's never a uh, true social impact as is normally theorized, um, as many different groups have found out throughout the years. Um, it That and other things like just, uh, you know, I don't know. There, there's ways in which we can go about making the most impact with the amount of time and resources that we have available to ourselves, especially those of us who are not uh, members of revolutionary organizations, um, who are not uh, organized in collectives yet, uh, such as, you know, myself. Um, We have to try to find ways to act and especially educate ourselves and others um, because if I myself go stand on the corner with a sign uh, I don't really know the efficacy of that necessarily I'm not saying it's not important and it's not worthwhile but it is um it is ultimately uh, contextual and based on, as I've discussed before, its connection to a larger struggle, which really determines the revolutionary characteristic of actions such as that. So now, <coughs> kind of been just rambling, but again, this is just kind of a a loose uh, uh, thought episode, because normally, again, this would just be time that I'm sitting here listening to a podcast, so I figured I'd listen to myself record one, because I'm truly self-absorbed. Anywho, um, so basically, there's been a few questions which I've really been toying with. And I'm kind of going to pose each one. They're not necessarily connected. But I'm kind of going to just pose each one as it's kind of like organically developing in my head. Maybe give a little context and try to answer how I'm thinking about it. Not necessarily what's correct. But kind of at this point in time. uh, What is it? November 8th. 2021, what I think, um, my kind of analysis of the situation. So anyways, first and foremost, one thing that I have been reading is The Dilemmas of Lenin by Tariq Ali, amongst other things. But this is kind of what I like to do is I like to get one kind of longer book usually, a little bit more theoretical or sometimes I'll go a bit historical usually Marxist texts tend to be both um, so that's cool if for example like I'm also currently reading The Origin of the Family, Private Property and the State if it is too theoretical and especially too old and philosophical in its language and the way it conveys ideas because that can become a little bit difficult to really understand, especially with the amount of uh, marijuana that some people smoke, wink, wink, 
Anyways, um, I like to get a little bit more contemporary book that's a little bit easier to understand. So that's what this book has been. <clears throat> and I've been kind of rocking with it for so, you know, so long. I, I have it on the ebook version on my, uh, like, Apple Books app. And I think it's 1,296 pages, and I'm on page 882. So I've been kind of, like, rocking with it for a while. But as I was talking with the homies about, um, I, uh, <laughs> I started to notice that Tariq Ali has a, an affinity for Trotsky. And now I know there's all kinds of memes about that. And trust me, I've had my interactions with Trotsky organizations. I've discussed on here quite... Uh, uh, a little bit more candidly than I guess I really necessarily needed to, but I don't really care. Um, I do think that there's a usefulness, especially with this book in particular, in continuing it because it does offer a lot of historical uh, kind of contextualization along with some of the arguments that it's presenting. And although I'm sure some of that history, uh, I don't want to say is skewed with bias, but is more geared towards conveying a certain argument and providing evidence for a certain argument, so ultimately intends to convey a certain point. So therefore, for, as is true with the things that I discuss and say, um, it is pointed, right? <clears throat> seems be to getting more... It seems to be getting more pointed towards a Trotskyist uh, principle than I was too truly aware of coming into, I don't know, 80 pages ago. <laughs> but anyways, so one question that it's kind of toying with with me is the role of the individual in history. So for those of you who don't know, oftentimes Marxists view things from a historical lens, which plainly speaking, and this isn't maybe the most scientifically correct language, but ultimately Marxists view things in upswings and downswings, really. They view them kind of in a quantity buildup to a qualitative change or, you know, a quantity build-up to a different qualitative change, right? That's ultimately the way we have to view history. We can't say things are good or bad uh, because that's really implying a, a bias. And when we imply that bias, we have to understand that we're doing it within a context where we're either supporting the status quo or going against the status quo. So even if we don't necessarily... Uh, intend to bolster the uh, ruling class ideology, there are ways in which, while trying to critique honestly, uh, for example, socialist projects that can come off as, uh, you know, bolstering or ultimately will, whether you intend to or not, will bolster the ruling class's ideology. So anyways... Basically, you have kind of like pathways, right? As some Maoists might take it. You have like your road towards socialism, your road towards capitalism type of vibe. 
Anyway, so you view history in that sense, right? You have your revolutionary and your reactionary times, right? Builds up, build ups, breakdowns, upswings, downswings, etc., etc. Now, usually a Marxist has a dialectical and historical materialist outlook, meaning they view history and things developing not through the realm of ideas, not through the realm of thoughts, rhetoric, ideology, but through the material world that ultimately changes and development occur first in our material reality and then cause a shift in our idealistic reality, I guess, might be a way to put that. Might not be the correct language again. I'm not, I don't go to school for this shit. Sue me. Anyways, <laughs> what is the role of the individual in this way then? Because, you know, you have folks like Lenin, right? And this is really what one argument the book is conveying. The Russian Revolution, in a lot of cases, the October Revolution that we are celebrating uh, yesterday, I think, the 104 anniversary of it, um, that revolution wouldn't have happened as it did had it not been for folks like Lenin, and especially Lenin, because not to make this, you know, too, too long of a thought, because I want to get to another before I get home, unfortunately. First and foremost, right, you got to understand, Lenin was in exile for more than a decade, I believe, from 1905 to 1917. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest, not a Leninologist, so I don't have all of the history and the dates 100%. But for a majority of the reactionary period between the first attempt at a revolution which installed the Duma, the first Duma in 1905, and the October Revolution of 1917, or technically the November 7th, if you're talking about the Gregorian calendar, that's why the dates are sometimes different and celebrated on two different days. Anyways, um... And in a lot of people's analysis, they see the Bolsheviks most likely not doing what they did had Lenin not come from out of exile in Finland. little historical note for those of you who don't know, the Germans actually put Lenin on a sealed train with some of his comrades straight to Russia because they knew that that was the way. That was going to be what would take down the Tsarist autocracy, Lenin and the revolution. The people, the masses, the revolutionary proletariat of Russia. But when Lenin got there, one of the first things he did was he went to the Central Committee and he, you know, almost accosted them and said, like, you know, why the fuck didn't you take state power? And, you know, you got all these different folks, Trotsky, Stalin, etc., etc., saying all the different reasons why. And Lenin basically chops it up and says, listen, you got three reasons always why the revolution didn't take place. A, you were not 
organized enough. You were not properly organized and your connection to the masses was not properly organized. B, the masses consciousness, right, had not been brought to the height that it needed to, to C, take advantage of the opportunities ahead of us. Your forces were not numerical enough, they were not strong enough, and they were not ideologically resolute enough to take advantage and capitalize on the opportunities which had presented themselves. Plain and simple. Now we have to do it over. And that's what they did come October. But had Lenin not come, do we necessarily think the October Revolution would have gone off as it did? I mean, Lenin just a year prior had done a a speech where he said, you know, uh, I think actually not even a year prior. I think when he gave his April thesis speech in exile, he said, those of us in my generation may be doomed to never see the revolution. And yet less than, you know, a year later, motherfuckers in the helm of the Central Committee as the theoretical guide to the Russian Revolution. So what is the role of individuals in history? I personally find that there are ways in which individuals can capitalize on and take proactive measures in their given environments. And honestly, you know, take advantage of opportunities. I think there are individuals, Lenin, Mao, Stalin, Marx, Engels, Thomas Sankara, Fidel Castro, Rosa Luxemburg, um, the revolutionary women in Granada, in Cuba, right, in, uh, uh, in Nicaragua, in China. Um, I think all people in this sense can take a proactive step, a revolutionary step in their own personal lives, which can advance the quote unquote natural development of circumstances. But can circumstances be made to develop so as to be ripe for a socialist revolution? Because this is truly what multiple different socialist projects like the Chinese uh, socialist project intend and say that they are doing. They are ultimately building the stage for socialism to take the helm. Now, there are a lot of folks on different sides of this question, and I not, you know, I, th- I feel like if you've, li- you've listened to this podcast, you might be able to uh, uh, really figure out what my take is. I don't think that my take is that important. I think that you yourself ought to take this moment to think a little thought and ask yourself some questions here. The second question I really want to pose to us is can we do what we as communists want to do atomized, divided, and especially without a communist party. Now, I did an episode, you can go listen to it, about my take on what I think the role of a revolutionary mass organization is and the importance of it. But I want to pose the question, because there are incredibly revolutionary indigenous-led organizations. There are incredibly revolutionary black-led organizations. There are incredibly revolutionary 
uh, mass organizations of Chicano and Latino uh, folks here in the U.S., right? There are incredibly revolutionary organizations led by women, by LGBTQ plus folks, especially transgender folks. There are all kinds of revolutionary organizations that do solidarity work, like the Friends of ATC, like the Red Condor Collective, like the Troika Collective, like Red Nation. There are all kinds of incredible organizations doing immensely important and revolutionary work all over this country and all over the world. Right now is the time of monsters. You see it. We are in between the periods that have come before and the periods that are to come after. Right now, we are in the time of monsters. We are in the time of struggle. How do we think we are best or most likely best optimized for a truly successful and revolutionary struggle? And when I say revolutionary, I want to clarify, clarify what I mean. Because there's a quote from Tariq Ali's book that I think sums up quite nicely what we want to use as maybe a guide to what is and is not revolutionary here. Uh, hold on, let me try. Okay, here it is. Quote. From the experience of all liberation movements, it can be noted that the success of a revolution can be measured by the extent of the involvement of women in it. Now, supplant women here for every other marginalized and oppressed group within, especially here in the U.S., because that's where I am, that's what we're talking about, that's what we're trying to organize, or what I'm trying to organize here right now in my day-to-day life, right? We have to understand the internationalist and connect to the international struggle. But unfortunately, at the moment, we are uh, relegated to the place in uh, space and time that we exist currently. So anyways... I use that quote to say that ultimately what is revolutionary is what constitutes something completely oppositional and different in a way that benefits the masses, the proletariat, or the majority instead of the minority, the elite few. A revolution or what is revolutionary can only be such if and only if and to the extent by which marginalized and oppressed people not only participate in it, but benefit from it. Because right now we have a system that marginalized and oppressed people participate in, but are marginalized and oppressed people across the board as a majority truly benefiting from the few and far between examples where they are allowed to participate in the governance of and the control of their own communities. 
truly do black, brown, and indigenous people within this nation benefit from the few instances in which they are able to have supposed control of the situation of their communities because even still in instances i mean it was true throughout the 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 second half of the 20th century that here in the united states there were more black elected officials across the many municipalities in this country than any other marginalized group but still did those mayors those congress people those police chiefs did they as judges within these localities have the control that they would have in a revolutionary socialist country i think not and they certainly do not benefit as they as they would as they do and have historically from revolutionary socialist countries they surely do not benefit in that way from this capitalist bourgeois system so something needs to change there but how can we do it disconnected in this way can we do it without unifying under the goal of socialism of communism now i as a white cisgendered male oftentimes get funny looks and for good reason when i bring up this discussion because cue all the examples of white cisgender men leading this conversation who are pieces of absolute fucking shit Now I try my darndest not to be. And I hope for my sake and you know for the sake of those who I organize with and ultimately uh can put at danger, I hope that I truly am combating these reactionary backwards ideals that come with the territory, right? But it is important that we wage this question of what is the unifying goal that will bring each of these revolutionary organizations and people together and what kind of world what kind of system what kind of tomorrow do they need to build in order to ensure as the quote mentioned before and as many people have said for example how do we ensure that this system is going to work so well that black and indigenous transgender women even will benefit from this system because something that we see time and time again is even within socialist countries we have these contradictions where marginalized people still do not see an equal society now folks all the way back to marx and engels talked about the fact that this would continue and somehow some way we forgot about this but socialism does not equal equality 
it equals a pathway towards egalitarianism. But egalitarianism is not equality because get this. In a world where we each are guaranteed the same things, in a world where we each are paid an equal and living uh, way, in systems where we each work an equal amount and are given an equal amount of things within society, there are still people who will be drug addicts. There are still people who will have five children while some have none. There will still be folks who suffer from medical conditions which others do not, who cannot work. There are others who suffer from what we call disabilities. Disabilities in a system which refuses to provide, refuses to build a system for those who have other sorts of realities, other sorts of abilities that do not par up to the rest of us and therefore do not deserve a ramp or do not deserve uh, equal access to the opportunities that you and I who are, uh, you know, given uh, such luxuries as the ability to walk, talk, see, breathe, think, hear, and touch, right? In that system, folks with other abilities are still not able to see betterment in some occasions. Now, this is not because socialism has failed. This is not because every socialist project before us is just a piece of shit. This is because this will always be an issue up until the point where it is resolved. Now, I, I know that sounds corny and I know that sounds stupid, but look at the difference being in China, they actually give a shit about that. And they're building towards trying to solve, you know, issues uh, 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 like women's equality, like poverty, like the lack of electricity, housing, water, shelter, right? Uh, food. Whereas the United States, the private uh, 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 capitalist bourgeois system gives zero shits about that because it's not profitable, plain and simple. There's no reason why a capitalist should be, should be interested in doling out extra funds to ensure that the minority or the marginalized or the discriminated against are given a egalitarian lifestyle, right? They don't have to give a shit about that because it's not going to make them more money than it's going to cost them, plain and simple, such as the reality and the logic of a capitalist system. So question, and then we're going to go. Can we do this without a mass organization? Can we do this without an oppositional party that is going to be able to vie against the Democratic and Republican parties, that is going to be able to stand against the Proud Boys, that is going to be able to stand against the fossil fuel industry, that is going to be able to stand against private capital and finance capital invading the third world, that is going to be able to stand against the continuation of imperialism. Can we do that without a unified mass organization? I think not. I've expanded on it in the previous episode, so go check that out. But anyways, if you're still listening to this, thank you. 
Uh, this is probably going to get posted as a bonus. So feel free to check out some other episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and everywhere else you can really find uh, podcasts. Please feel free to reach out to me. You can find me on social media. I have TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find me at In Defense of Liberation. You can also email me at indefensiveliberation at gmail.com. And you can find my website at forliberation.wixsite, spelt W-I-X-S-I-T-E, dot com forward slash website. None of those have caps or spaces. Feel free to reach out to me for any reason whatsoever. Also, on October 23rd, 2021, an international tribunal called the International Tribunal of Human Rights Abuses Against Black, Brown, and Indigenous People found the United States guilty on five different criterion of genocide against Black, Brown, and Indigenous People. Now, what is this worth? Some people are saying this isn't shit. These groups have no affinity They have no uh, uh, legality. There's no reason to give a shit about this. That's not true. Because people from all around the country looked at over 100 different documents, listened to almost three days, over 30 witness accounts, and in that time, used that evidence to decide and ultimately uh, come to a guilty verdict against the United States as a uh, institution, its government, its president, its state department, its military, its capitalist, its economy, etc. From 1492 up until the present, they have found them guilty of genocide. Now, black, brown, indigenous people on my, on my TikTok, personally, because I posted a video about this that kind of took off, They're like, okay, cool, white guy. Thanks for the, you know, heads up. I'm glad that some, you know, some tribunal I've never heard of had this very obvious case. Well, I know that it seems illogical and stupid to do, but it's a precedent which then can be acted upon. There's no reason why anyone from this point forward can sit here and say that the U.S. is not a genocidal state, that we are not a settler colonial uh, state. corporation really and now what can be done well you can organize you can educate you can do mass uh popular education fronts you can teach people about uh these abuses you can teach people about what to do and how to build revolutionary organizations intent on building a system led by the very people that this genocide was acted upon against uh led by women led by gay folks led by trans folks that can overthrow this system, right? That's our goal. Jaleel Muntakim, one of the main organizers of this, is calling for a people's senate. Now, ultimately, the people decide what that looks like. So stop asking and start doing. Go meet with your neighbors. Go talk to those in your community. Unionize your workplace. Start a community garden. Go do a study group. Come on my podcast. Have conversations with your family and friends, and especially go read theory and go do praxis. Because at the end of the day, this shit isn't going to change, right? What's the role of the individual? You are up to, you know, you are up to bat. You're at the helm. So let's go decide what are you going to do? Because ultimately, the people's consciousness and what can be done is acted upon and decided by you and me. Those of us who are conscious. Because once we are conscious, we have two very distinct choices. Do something and do nothing. So let's go do something. 
Stay revolutionary, folks, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Stay safe.